we're starting this new series called Desperation. And against my better judgment, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a few minutes. I know that's dangerous because for some of you, a few minutes might turn into 30 minutes. But I'm going to take the chance and maybe your neighbor can wake you up in a few minutes. But here's what I want you to do. If you would, everyone cooperate, participate, please. Would you just close your eyes? And, and I just want to describe something to you. I want to try to start up your imagination with your eyes closed. I want you to imagine that you're driving across a bridge on Lake Hartwell. And there's a car approaching. And the driver of that car that is approaching you on the bridge is texting someone, and they don't realize it, but they're halfway in your lane. Instinctively, you swerve to the right, and you go off the bridge. Now, the good news is that you survived the plunge. The bad news is that your car is sinking to the bottom of the lake, 25 feet below, 25 feet of water. And the worst news is your seatbelt is stuck. Can't get free. You're trapped in a car, 25 feet underwater, and you can't get, frantically, you're trying to get the seatbelt undone. And you finally, finally get the seatbelt to release, but now the door won't open. The pressure of the water has got the door closed and you're pushing with everything that you have. And eventually, you finally kick it open enough to squeeze out the door and you see the top of the water and you start heading towards the top, but you still got a good 10 feet to go and your lungs are about to burst. You've got no air left. And you cry out to God in desperation as fear fills your body. And somehow, in just a second, you burst through to the surface and you gasp for air. That's desperation. Now, eyes still closed. Let me paint another picture for you. Imagine that you go home after church today and as, you're, as you turn the corner into your neighborhood, you realize that your house is on fire. Red lights are flashing everywhere. Your home is fully engulfed in flames. You're stunned as you stand there and watch 30 years of memories go up in smoke. You're heartbroken because you realize that you're going to lose everything and there is nothing you can do about it. You fall on your knees and you cry and you pray. Prayer of desperation. Now, open your eyes and wake up your neighbor if you need to. Now, if you participated with me in that and really kind of got into the scene, you're probably thinking, Keith, why would you do that to me? I'm, I'm going to be afraid to drive across bridges now and I'm going to have to leave church early and if my house is burning down. Why, why would you make me feel that? Why would you make me experience that? It's for that very reason. I wanted you to, to feel it. I wanted you to remember what it feels like to be desperate. I wanted you to feel the anxiety. I wanted you to feel the panic. I wanted you to feel the fear. I wanted you to feel the hopelessness of being desperate and not being able to fix it. You see, for some people, that's not an imagination. For some people, that's reality. For some people, that's what... Perhaps you are living through right now. Not that your car went under the water or that your house is on fire, but 
But you know that feeling of desperation. You know that feeling of panic. You know that anxiety. You know the struggle. Now, none of us enjoy times of desperation. There's nothing fun about desperation. There's, there's nothing enjoyable about feeling those kind of feelings. Desperation is the feeling that your situation is so bad that it's impossible to deal with. It's, it's the feeling that your situation is so bad that it's hopeless. That it's not going to improve. But here's something that may help you. God is drawn to the cries of the desperate. I want you to hear that. And I want you to believe it. And I want to show it to you in Scripture today. God is drawn to the cries of the desperate. A phrase that you often see in Scripture is the phrase, cried out. That they cried out to the Lord. When an individual or even a whole nation, like the nation of Israel, cried out to God, the interesting thing happened. Every time you see that phrase where they cried out, the interesting thing is God responded. They cried out in fear. They cried out in desperation. Whether it's an individual or a nation, it was as if God was drawn to that situation. He was drawn to their desperation. One example of that is, perfect example of that is in the story of Moses as he's at the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. You don't need to turn there, but, but in Exodus chapter 3 verse 7, you know the story and the background to the story, but God said in chapter 3 verse 7 this, He said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people Israel. He's saying this to Moses through the burning bush. He says, I have seen the misery of my people Egypt. I have, listen to this, I have heard their crying out. Because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. It's as if God said, listen, I've seen what they're going through. I have heard their cries of desperation. And I'm concerned. My heart goes out to I'm concerned about what they're going through. And so he says in verse 10, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So here's a lesson you and I need to learn about desperation. We'll see it today. We'll see it throughout this whole series. The lesson is this. Desperation always precedes deliverance. The Bible is filled with examples of times when God answered the desperate cries of His people. Elijah cried out and God revived a dead child in 1 Kings 17. Jehoshaphat cried out and God delivered him from death, 2 Chronicles 18. Hezekiah cried out and God gave him victory over the Syrian armies, 2 Chronicles 32. The disciples of Jesus cried out in the middle of a storm and Jesus immediately calmed the waters for them. Peter cried out as he tried to walk on water and failed and was sinking under the water. And the Bible says in Matthew 14, immediately Jesus reached out His hand and He caught Peter. It's as if when you read the Scriptures and you see this cry out or they cried out, you see this picture of a God that's drawn to cries of desperation. Which brings me to an interesting story in Mark chapter 5. Would you open God's Word to Mark chapter 5? Mark chapter 5, there's a story of a man who was probably in the most desperate situation I have ever heard of. When we read through Mark, or when we read through Mark, I should say, uh, back in the month of March, uh, we came to this story, and on that Sunday night, if you'll remember, I said to you, now this is an interesting story, we're going to look at it briefly, and then I'm probably going to come back to it in a sermon series. So, here we are. 
This is what I was talking about that evening. So it may sound familiar if you were here on that Sunday night, but we're going to go much deeper on it today. But here's a man who's in the most desperate situation that you could ever imagine. He was literally living without hope of anything improving in his life. Satan had totally destroyed his life. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Read, follow along as I read. Every word in this story emphasizes the man's pathetic condition. Look at the text. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And then look at verse 5. We'll come back to it again in a moment. But notice it in verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Have you ever seen anyone as desperate as that? Imagine living your life with absolutely no hope. No chance of things improving. No light at the end of the tunnel. No reason to keep trying. No reason to keep going. Because you're in a situation that's never going to get better. You see, one of Satan's greatest weapons is the feeling that what you're currently going through is what you will always go through. He wants to convince you that the problems you're having now are the problems you will always have. The crisis you're in now is a crisis that will always be there. What you're going through now, you will always grow through. And so the devil wants to magnify your problem, and he wants to magnify the hopelessness of your situation. He wants to convince you that there is no one who can help you. This man would be a poster child for hopelessness, wouldn't he? In fact, if you look at the same story in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 8, verse 27, Luke says, for a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Hear that again. Try to get a picture of this man. For a long time, Luke said. We don't know how long, but for a long time. He had not had clothes on. He had not lived in a house. He had lived in the tombs. I would say that's desperate. Apparently, he felt more comfortable among the dead than he did among the living. And the living, they weren't very concerned about that because they kind of liked the idea that he was out there somewhere and not in their town, not in their community. Matthew, in his account of this story, Matthew 8.28 says that this man was so violent that no one could pass by that way. But word had gotten out that that demon-possessed man that lives over there You don't want to go in his area. You don't want to go by there. You don't want to walk on that lake shore. You don't want to be in that area because of that man that's there. He's so violent. Don't go anywhere near him. And later in the story, we find out why he's so violent. Later in the story, we find out why he's living among the tombs. Later in the story, we find out why his situation is so helpless. Let's just fast forward down to verse 9. When, when he sees Jesus, he goes running towards Jesus. He falls down in front of them. And Jesus asks him, verse 9, what is your name? And now the demon inside the man is speaking here to Jesus. Verse 9, my name is what, church? Legion, he replied. For we are many. Now, 
a legion in a, is a Roman military term, and a Roman legion was made up of 6,000 soldiers. It's frightening to think of the horrors this man experienced if he had 6,000 demons living inside him. It's, it's frightening to think of the torment that he went through. Now we understand why the text says day and night he was crying out. If there was ever a hopeless case, it's this guy. Living among the dead, screaming out in the tombs day and night, cutting himself with stones, isolated from the entire world, including his family. Desperate doesn't even seem to be strong enough to describe his situation. He's an example of what Satan can do to people. An extreme example, yes. But he's an example of what John 10.10 says. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Never underestimate the destructive power of Satan. He is our enemy, and he wants to destroy us. This man was totally hopeless, totally helpless, unable to do anything to fix his situation. In fact, Mark emphasizes that very fact. In verse 3 and in verse 4, Mark emphasizes that no one could help him. You look at the text with me. Verse 3, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He had gotten worse. They had tried to bind him before and now no one could even bind him anymore. He had gotten worse. Verse 4, for he had often been chained hand and foot. They had often tried to do something to at least restrain him and somehow help him. He had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. And then Mark emphasizes again, no one was strong enough to subdue him. No one. That's why verse 5 is such a powerful verse for me. Verse 5 says, Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, cut himself with stones. I think it was a cry of desperation. I think night and day, he would just cry out in desperation. See, when you're desperate, Things have to improve, but you have little or no hope that they will. He was inhabited by a legion of demons. And there was nothing he could do to free himself. And living in the tombs, day and night, he would scream in desperation. Then there was an unexpected moment that changed his life. It's an unexpected moment he didn't plan. It's an unexpected moment he didn't set up. It was an unexpected moment he didn't deserve. Remember I told you as I began the message that God is drawn to cries of desperation? As I was studying this text, I found something to be very intriguing. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's go back to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, 
to give you the context, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus spends, spent the day around the lake, around the western side of the lake, around Capernaum and those areas. He had spent that day teaching. It had been a long day teaching. And then when he got to the end of the teaching, he looked at his disciples that, late that afternoon and said, Guys, let's go to the other side. What he meant by the other side was to go across the lake from the west side over to the east side of the lake. Now, the interesting thing is, in verse 35, chapter 4, it doesn't tell us why. After a day of teaching, why was it that Jesus said, hey, let's go to the other side. Let's go over to the eastern side of the, shore, of the lake. But we don't know why. What we do know is in chapter 5, verse 1, that they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. region of the Gerasenes was Gentile territory. The region of the Gerasenes was on the eastern side of the lake. And when Jesus got to the other side, Gentile territory, the eastern side of the lake, in verse 2 is when he met this desperate man. This man saw Jesus walking towards the tomb, and it was a moment of hope for him. Look at verse 2 and in verse 6. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. In other words, this man living among the tombs, he sees the boat coming across the shore. When, he, the, when the boat lands on the shore, he begins to look at who's getting out of the boat. And then when he recognizes Jesus, look what happens in verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. So here's what happened. When he saw Jesus, he ran to him and he fell on his knees in front of him in desperation. And then that's when the demons took over. And when the demons began to speak to Jesus through his voice, verses 7 through 13. It's an amazing story. Look at it again. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Verse 9, my name is Legion. This is the demon speaking to the Lord through the voice of the man. He replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs to allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd was about how many? 2,000 in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off. I would have too, wouldn't you? Those herding the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. Can I tell you what happened? Satan tried to destroy this man, but Jesus came to deliver him. By the power of his word, he cast out the demons in this man, and he set him free. Can I say to you today that Jesus has absolute control over those things you have no control over? He has absolute control. So, verses 18 through 20 is when we get to the good news. Verses 18 through 20 is, tells the story. It's kind of the, the first day of the rest of this man's life. Verse 18 through 20. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them, watch this, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis, not just his home, but all over the area, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. His past became his testimony. Past life he had lived, the past problems he had had became his testimony of how Jesus delivered him from it all. This man had no one to help him until he met Jesus. Now, here's where I want you to notice something very important. After this, Jesus got back in the boat and he went back to the other side of the lake. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. As I was studying that this week, it occurred to me, now wait a minute. He said in chapter 4, verse 35, let's go to the other side. But he didn't say why. Chapter 5, verse 1, he lands on the shore of the other side and he meets one man, a demon-possessed man. And you know the story by now. He frees him from his demon possession. He restores his life to him. And then after he deals with that one man, he gets back in the boat and he goes back across the lake to the other side again. He goes back home. Could it be? Could it be that he went to the other side for that one man? Because we don't have record of him doing anything else there on the other side. There's no record of a preaching event. There's no record of of going from city to city. All we see is Jesus helping this one desperate man in need and then going home. Now, this what I'm about to say to you is speculation, and I want to make sure that I put that out there. What What I'm about to show you or talk to you about is speculation on my part. But it, could it be, let your imagination work for a moment, could it be that Jesus heard the cries of desperation of this man when he was out on the lake? Think about it for a moment. Jesus was on the lake a lot. They were out on that body of water a lot. Maybe on one occasion or more, maybe they, they were out in the middle of the lake, or maybe they were a little closer to the eastern side of the lake. And remember what it says in chapter Uh, or verse 5, how it says day and night he cries out. Could it be that while they were out, you know how sound travels across water? Again, this is speculation, I admit that. But could it be that while they were out on the body of water, now that is a large body of water, I've been there several times, it's about 7 miles across, about 15 miles from north to south, so it's a large body of water, but could it be that they were on the eastern side, not not on the shore, but kind of on the eastern half of the Sea of Galilee, and this man's up in the hills, and he's crying out in desperation. He's crying out in pain. He's crying out because he has no hope. Could it be that while they were on the boat, the disciples said, do you hear that guy? Maybe Peter or Thomas said, that guy's crazy. Somebody else says, I, I've heard about it. You don't, even, you don't want to go over there. I've heard the way he, he tear, he'll tear you up if you go over there. I mean, word is out about that guy. And they, they're on the boat, and maybe another day they're out there on the boat again, and they, they hear his cry. Maybe one night they're on the Sea of Galilee and they hear this cry from the hills on the eastern side of the lake. 
speculation, but I do know this. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus looked at his disciples one day and said, let's go to the other side. I believe Jesus was drawn to the cries of that desperate man. And can I say to you that God cares about you too? He hears your cries of desperation. See, there's a punchline to the story. And I'm not done, but let me give you the punchline to the story. Though you may feel helpless, your life is not hopeless. That's really the summary of this text, of this man. Though you may feel helpless, your life is not hopeless. I want to give you two words of advice, two points of application, especially if you're struggling with something and you're in a desperate situation right now. Desperate situation in your home, a desperate situation with your family, a desperate situation in your marriage, a desperate situation with your finances or with your health, whatever it may be. If you're in a time of desperation, can I give you two points of application? Number one is this. Jesus is bigger than any problem you've got. You see, you might want to write this down. He can always handle what I can't. Jesus has power over whatever has overpowered you. 1 John 4, 4, it says, Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. So your life may seem hopeless, and you might not be able to change it, but I'm here to tell you, Jesus can change it. Jesus, He's bigger than any problem you've got. But here's the second one. And I love this second point of application. When I read this text, I'm studying it this week, and it, it just occurred to me. Here's the second word of advice I would give you, and that's this. We can bring nothing to Christ except our need. We can bring nothing to Christ except our need. You see, this demon-possessed man had nothing to offer Jesus when he ran to him in desperation. Nothing. He had nothing to offer Jesus except his need. You see, when our brokenness brings us to him, our desperate situation can turn that into a defining moment for our life. And that's what happened for this man. Desperation brought him to a defining moment. And his life was changed. You, you don't want to hear this, especially if you're in a desperate time. You, you don't want to hear what I'm about to tell you, but I'm going to have to tell you anyway. And, and, and I, I understand because if, sometimes I don't want to hear this either, but, but here's the truth of the matter. Desperation can actually be a good thing. And if you're in the midst of a desperate time, you don't like that and you don't want to hear that, and I get that. Manly Beasley used to say, listen to this, Manly Beasley used to say, when you're desperate, God may finally have your attention. Psalm 77 verses 1 and 2 says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. And when I was in distress, I sought the Lord. Do you hear what the psalmist said? He said, when I was in distress, I cried out to God. And when I was in distress, I sought the Lord. Many of you can testify to, that, to the truth of that statement that in your desperate moment, you discover God in a way you had not known Him before. 
that during a time of crisis in your life, God got your attention. Many can testify that, you know, you were just kind of going through life, halfway ignoring God, just doing life, busy, and all of that kind of thing. But you got to the point because of a desperate situation where that didn't work anymore. You couldn't control the situation you were in. You couldn't fix the situation you were in. You needed help. You became desperate. And in your distress, you sought the Lord. You see, desperation can be a good thing if it turns your heart to the Lord, can it? When you have no one to turn to, you have someone to turn to. See, we all have something in common with this man. Listen to me. We all have something in common with this demon-possessed man. You know what it is? We are all desperate for Jesus. Different reasons, different circumstances, but we are all desperate for Jesus. And He can help us in our time of need when no one else can. You have no hope of conquering the sin that is dominating your life. There is one who can conquer that sin that's dominating you. Jesus came. Because of our cries of desperation. You see, the man in the story that we've read about today had a choice to make. When he saw Jesus stepping out of the boat onto the shore, imagine this if you will. You know how the story ends. You, you know how it turns out in the good positive. But, but imagine that when he, saw, when he saw Jesus, he turned away from him and walked away from him. Here's the man who could set him free from his demon possession. Here's the man who could restore him to his right mind. Here's the man who could help him with the one problem he couldn't fix. And he sees that man and he turns away from him and walks away. Nobody in their right mind would do that. And yet some people do that every Sunday. That very thing. They're confronted with the one person who can change their life. Sunday after Sunday, they turn and walk away. I guess we're just not desperate enough yet. I guess we just haven't come to that point where we're really willing to surrender everything and fall before Him. This morning, as I was going over my notes and kind of fixing things and all of that, I had some music playing in the background, and, and it was an old hymn that came on, and as I was working on the text and the, my message, I finally tuned in to what the words were saying of the hymn. I thought, well, that's very appropriate to what I'm studying right now. And the words are this, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at His feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, holy Thine. May Thy Holy Spirit fill me. May I know Thy power divine. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all.
You've got nothing to offer Jesus except your need. And He is drawn to the cries of the desperate. There is nothing in your life too hard for Him. It was a man who apparently, in my guesstimation and speculation, there was a man who one day, after meeting Jesus, after he was restored to his right mind, he left the tombs and he walked into his house. Different person because of Jesus. I'd love for you to be able to leave your tomb of despair and to walk into your house a different person because of Jesus. So let's bow our heads and pray about that. Jesus did say to this man, I want you to go home and I want you to tell them about the mercy of God and what He has done for you today. I would love that to be part of your story. The mercy of God and what He's done for you today. I'd love for you to be able to tell others, you know, there was a day when I was desperate. There was a day when all I could do was cry. There was a day when I just surrendered and gave Jesus the only thing I could give Him, which is my need. Panic. Worry. Fears. Struggles. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I love that verse in in Matthew where Jesus said, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that when we are stressed out and overwhelmed and desperate, that you can step into our world because of our cries. Come to meet us at our point of need. And restore us and renew us. Do it again. Even here. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.